Welcome to another episode of I Need a Ruling, a golf podcast. My name is Doug Hoffman. For those of you who don't know me or haven't listened previously, I'm the Director of Rules and Competitions for the Minnesota Golf Association, a PGA Master Professional, and the 2019 Minnesota Section PGA Golf Professional of the Year. I'm glad you are with me today. The purpose of this podcast is to provide valuable information on the rules that all golfers should know. Obviously, the level of golf one plays, be it social or highly competitive, includes playing by the rules. I understand many simply want the joy of having time in nature with mates, enjoying one another's company, and sometimes the challenge that golf provides. Yet, the rules are key, and the better one knows them, they will have an advantage. This podcast is designed to take the rules and break them down into easy-to-follow segments, each lasting about 10 minutes. By keeping each podcast shorter, it allows you, the listener, to better absorb and process the information. I feel listening to more, shorter episodes allows you to really understand the information before moving forward. This episode will start a series covering a section of the rules that many will never read, much less know they even exist, unless they find themselves in a ruling that goes beyond the basic rules found in the main text. What I am talking about is not found in any of the printed versions of the rules of golf, not yet, anyhow. These are the clarifications. Within the rules, we have interpretations, which are the same as the old decisions. These provide additional information, actually rulings, about the application of the rules that are not clear simply by reading and following the rule itself. However, when the new modernized rules interpretations were published, it became clear that some rules needed additional explanation. Thus, we have clarifications. Currently, these are found only on the USGA or RNA websites. They are not part of any publication, as I previously mentioned. They are easy to find, though. If you go to the rules homepage of either website, you will find a link to these and the ability to print them in a PDF document. Clarifications will be added to the rules quarterly. Currently, there are 24 clarifications, ranging from Rule 1 to 24, and include both definitions as well as some model local rules. Many were created for golf at the highest level, or maybe I should say, because of golf at the highest level. Yes, as you might expect, some of the most challenging scenarios come from the worldwide tours. As we discuss the clarifications, I will mention all of them. However, I will focus predominantly on those that will impact all golfers, not just those at the highest level. That said, I strongly encourage you to take the time and effort to become familiar with these if you are in a position of playing the game competitively and or officiating in any capacity, whether that be a national or a regional championship or as a club administrator or professional at your local course. I can start and list these in order by the rule number, but that would cause us to get into some of the more challenging ones very early. So I'm going to highlight or discuss those that will mean more to you and are easier to grasp. While I'm not going to go through these in order of rule number, the first one I will discuss deals with rule 1.3c, and in particular a breach of rule 9.4, which is a ball at rest lifted or moved by the player. What this clarification tells us is that if a player lifts or causes the ball to move where not allowed and fails to replace it prior to making the next stroke, the player incurs only the two-stroke penalty in stroke play 
and no additional penalty for having caused the ball to move. For example, when the ball is at rest on the fairway and a player inadvertently causes the ball to move when removing a loose impediment, the player is penalized one stroke under Rule 9.4 for causing the ball to move, and it requires the ball to be replaced. If the player fails to do so before playing the ball, the penalty becomes two strokes for having played from a wrong place. However, the player only gets the more severe penalty of the two strokes. The original penalty for causing the ball to move does not apply. Another clarification that is now relevant due to the new and modernized rules is what we are allowed to do and not do with an extra club found in our bag either just before or during the round. We know that we are still limited to 14 clubs for a round. Rule 4.1b tells us that, and under the rules we must declare one of the, out of play. What if we have not started and we're on the 15th tee of a shotgun start? Now the rules allow us to announce which one we are taking out of play and keep it in our bag or put it in the basket of the golf cart. However, once we have taken that club out of play, we may no longer use it at all. Even if a situation comes up that we can replace a club, such as if one breaks. There is a clarification that deals with the player taking an action that is not allowed, such as practicing on the course or testing a putting green. Rule 5.2 prohibits us from practicing on the course, and this means not only playing a ball, but also rolling a ball or rubbing the surface. For example, if a player were to go out to the 18th green and play a bunker shot to the hole prior to starting his round, that stroke is the first breach. Should the player play a second stroke, even immediately after the first, that becomes the second breach. Note, a second breach in this case results in what I like to call a hot fudge Sunday stop at DQ on the way out of town, or the player is disqualified. As the clarification states, these strokes are not treated as related acts under Rule 1.3c, such as making multiple practice swings in a bunker and touching the sand with each swing. Yet another clarification deals with when a caddy is allowed to lift the ball. Generally speaking, the caddy should never touch the ball, but under the new rules, is permitted to mark and lift the ball from the putting green. The clarification of Rule 10.3b allows the caddy to lift the ball so long as it is reasonable to conclude the player is taking relief under a rule. So, if the ball lies in a penalty area or in temporary water, the caddy may lift it when it is reasonable to expect the player to take relief, whether with or without penalty. Here are a few more that are likely to come into play at all levels. Rule 11.1b, Exception 2, deals with a ball that is played from a putting green. Should it accidentally strike any person, animal, or movable obstruction, including another ball in motion, that is on the putting green, the stroke must be canceled and replayed. This is very definite. But what if the facts are not so certain? That is, it cannot be determined if it de definitely happened. The player will use the known or virtually certain standard. With knowledge, there is no doubt. But virtually certain means a 95% or higher likelihood that it struck something. What if it strikes a living insect? This clarification tells us that. By definition of animal, which is any living member of the animal kingdom other than humans, including mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and invertebrates, such as worms, 
insects, spiders, and crustaceans. This exception, too, applies since the living insect is an animal. And the clarification to Rule 13.1c2 gives us the right to repair damage from hail on a putting green. Some courses have issues with dead insects, such as Asian beetles, after the greens are treated. So the player may need to determine if said insect is alive or not. The clarification to Rule 13.1c2 The clarification to Rule 14.3b2 tells us, and actually reverses the ruling under the old rules, that a tee that is being used or carried by the player or caddy is the player's equipment, even when it is being used to mark a reference point. This is particularly relevant now that a drop ball may strike the player's equipment after first striking the ground, and it will not require a redrop. Rule 14.3d prohibits the player from deliberately deflecting or stopping a drop ball. This clarification states that a player is not exempt from penalty, even though the ball must be redropped. Thus, the player incurs the penalty since it was a deliberate act. And Rule 14.5c prohibits the player from improving the relief area by doing such things as replacing divots prior to dropping the ball. Should the player drop improperly, that is, shoulder height, for example, and then correct that mistake, the player will not be penalized if the player drops in a different area. For example, the player takes back on the line relief from a penalty area, keeping the point where the ball last crossed the edge of the penalty area between the player and the hole, and then drops the ball from shoulder height. However, he had replaced and filled some divot holes prior to dropping, clearly a breach of Rule 14.5c. When correcting his dropping procedure, he is required to continue with the the back-on-the-line option, but he changes the relief area by going either closer or further back from his original relief area. By doing this, he will not incur the penalty for improving the original relief area. The last clarification I will mention in this episode deals with Rule 16.3b, taking relief from an embedded ball. While the rule was relaxed with the adoption of the new rules, that is, we are now allowed to take relief in the general area, as opposed to limited to grass cut to fairway height or less, this does not guarantee relief in all cases. I am glad to see this added as a clarification, as it took extra time in the rules classes that I taught to make sure all were understanding of this new restriction, if you will. Here's how it goes. Under the current rules, if a ball is embedded in the general area, and relief is allowed under 16.3a. The player may take free relief by dropping in the relief area. The relief area is defined as one club length sized partial circle determined by a reference point. This reference point is right behind where the ball is embedded. What does it mean right behind? The rules actually will suggest only two to three inches. None of this relief area may be closer to the hole though and it must be in the general area. Thus, no part of the relief area may be in a bunker, penalty area, on a putting green, or in the teeing area. This part is extremely important to keep in mind. There may be cases where the ball is clearly embedded in the general area, but due to the location, relief will not be permitted. For example, if a ball is embedded at the base of a lip, wall, or face of a bunker, or the spot right behind the ball is in the bunker, 
and there is no part of the general area within one club length of the relief area. A player would not be entitled to free relief in this particular case. This is one scenario in which the new rules are actually more penal to the player than previously. Well, that concludes this episode of I Need a Ruling, a golf podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this show. Come back soon for the second episode dealing with the clarifications to the rules. I encourage you to continue your study of the rules by visiting both the USGA and RNA rules pages. There is a treasure trove of information that will help you become more rules literate, no matter your knowledge level, and quizzes that will test that knowledge. I look forward to having you listen to another show, and don't forget to listen to past shows. You can find I Need a Ruling, a Golf Podcast on all of your favorite podcast sites. Until then, play well and have fun.